The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. And welcome to Our Wild World. We have a fascinating special guest with us today, Guillaume Bon, who is a journalist and a world-renowned journalist and photographer. And uh, I hope you'll take a moment to read the guest bio page rather than go through it all right now, because Guillaume and I have a lot to discuss. So good morning, Guillaume. How are you today? Good morning, Eddie. Nice to be here. Thank you. I'm so pleased that you're uh, with us today. Um, we're going to just jump right in. So, as I said, um, take a look at uh, Guillaume's guest bio. Uh, he's a fascinating man with uh, cont- contributions to a lot of our mainstream media. And um, he was born in Madagascar uh, from a very interesting family uh, with a multi-layered European background. Um, Guillaume, so we're going to jump into, let's start with a little bit of background and then head into what's going on today and uh, you're undertaking a, a very uh, interesting and huge task of a project. So I yeah. guess what I'd like to start with is um, how, it, being an African, you know, um, many people think of Africans as black Africans, but there are white Africans, and you were born in Madagascar with a very interesting family. Uh, was your family in media and photography or journalism? And it, did you come from a history of that, or how did you get started? No, I mean, it, it actually starts uh, back in 1885. My, my great-grandfather arrived in Madagascar, and, uh, and then my grandfather was born there. My father was born there, and I was also born there. So, um, yeah, I guess that makes us um, white Africans, I suppose. I mean, I, 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 I think whether you're white, you know, um, Indian or, or black, you know, you're born somewhere, you grew up with one, you know, one set of environment, and, and that makes you who you are, I suppose. Um, so no, they were not, absolutely not into media. My 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 grandfather was a farmer, and my father was born on his on his farm. And and actually, the first time he saw electricity was at the age of seven years old when he um, went to Europe for the first time. Amazing! So uh, that's the first I've heard of this this background. So this this makes what we're going to be talking about even more intriguing and exciting. So um, coming from a farming background. And uh, the, the history of Madagascar, a country that I have not yet been to, which is a unique environment in and of itself, how did you uh, get into journalism and photography? Well, I, I, my, dad, my dad worked for uh, a company um, that, that uh, used to move us, you know, every four, five or six years. Um, so we eventually left Madagascar and, and obviously I tagged along. And, uh, we arrived in, um, eventually arrived in Kenya where, where our party grew up and where, where I've been living, you know, most of my life now. Um, and, uh, I guess, I guess I became interested in journalism, um, related again to the environment that I was mentioning before. It's, it's, I think it's very hard in a place like Africa, not, not to develop a certain curiosity and, and, and therefore look outside of your own sort of confined a protected environment and and there's a lot of there's a lot of poverty in africa and and i think that led me to you know developing my own eyes and my own i suppose conscience about certain things and 
and how lucky I was to be, um, you know, to be there. Um, and, and I think my curiosity started from there. And, and then I started, you know, picking up newspapers and, you know, watching TV and all that sort of thing. I think that's how it started to finally a few years. I think I was 19 or 20. I can't remember. A friend of mine was a journalist already, a confirmed journalist, invited me to come to Somalia, which um, um, was at the beginning of the civil war. The, the president um, at the time, Syed Barre, had been overthrown from power. And so I went with my friend, tagged along with him, and we went to Mogadishu um, and, and sort of, you know, that was my first experience with a, a war-related situation. Went to Mogadishu to experience and see what was going on there. And, and that was 20 or 22 years ago, I think. Um, and, you know, that, that civil war is still going on. Wow. So you sort of jumped right in with both feet. And what, what, um, galvanized you to pick up a camera and start from the photojournalistic perspective? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I've been interested in photography since the age of 15 or 16 and, um, you know, f- funnily enough, it's a long story, but funnily enough, I, I, um, there's a, a good friend of mine called Dan Eldon, who subsequently in 93 was killed as a photojournalist in Somalia. And, and sort of we, we kind of grew up together, you know, uh, thinking photography and, and visuals. And, um, so, so when I arrived in Somalia, I wanted to be a photographer for sure. That's what really what I wanted to, you know, get into, but I, I didn't really, knew yet that I wanted to go into journalism and, and go to places and report stories that, you know, you know, mostly the, the world is kind of forgot, forgetting. So, um, we, we were in and out of Mogadishu, you know, um, trying to sort of keep up with what was going on there. And, you know, one day on our way back, um, f- you know, to Mogadishu from, from trying to get to the front line, um, we saw, I mean, I saw my first dead body there. Um, and we stopped the car and, and and I actually didn't take a picture, which was really odd and weird. Um, and I think that that night was the first night I realized, well, if you are in Somalia and you're not taking pictures of a dead body, then what are you doing here? You know, I mean, this is part of what you should be doing. And I think that was kind of the, the, the starting point for me to to get into journalism. That That's fascinating. So that kind of leads me into... Um... A question. I, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, we're going to talk about a couple of different things, the the photography aspect and then how that led you into the current project that you're working on. Um, being a photographer and a writer myself uh, and being very aware of well-known photographers, there's a very specific style that every great photographer has, what I like to call the eye behind the viewfinder, especially when it comes to wildlife and tribal peoples or war. And it seems there's so much more to be seen than simply snapping shots like along Main Street USA or the typical tourist shot. There's the photo documentarian journalistic objective view, which is what you were just talking about. What are you doing in Somalia if you're not photographing the horror? And then there's the artistic subjective view, which it sounds like you started when you were in your early teens. Both can make a technically perfect image, but the social sentiment behind them varies wildly. Widely, Where do you see the line between these two, fine art versus evocative images that engage people to take action for a cause, i.e. photojournalism? Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting question, and, and I think it's, it's a fundamental question you're asking. Um, and I think, I think all of us, the, the visual writers, um, i.e. photographers, are you know, always thinking about that. Um, in the sense that, I mean, personally, I, I don't look at as photography as, I, I look at photography as, as, as a language and, and I'm, you know, merely using my camera as, you know, a writer would be using a pen or, or a computer or Microsoft Word, um, you know, uh, software. So <clears throat> in terms of, in terms of the creativity that you, you're talking about, it's true that it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to, you know, to, I mean, you have two ways of approaching this. Either you go with a punchline and, and you make people turn away. And, and that might be one way, I think, sometimes with certain stories, you know, to maybe approach this. And, and, but, you know, realistically, what you will get is kind of a, oh my God, I can't look at this. Therefore, I don't want to hear about this. 
And then there's the other approach where you can try to be more subtle about it. And, and, and therefore, I suppose you can call it creative about it and, and trying to, I don't know what it is, capture something that will metaphorically maybe, you know, convey the same message, but that would be visually less, um, you know, less hard to look at. I mean, it's a very difficult, you know, difficult scenario or, or, you know, very difficult ingredients to find, you know, to be able to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I studied photography with a lot of mentors, National Geographic journalists, and then, um, let's say Nikon and, and artists. And I was always told, you know, to leave that subjective viewer behind and be the ob- objective observer, almost like the scientist, uh, not seeing the forest for the, the trees or not seeing the trees for the forest. How, um, I, f- I found that very difficult to do, to, to, not become emotionally involved with my subject and looking at your images which are absolutely stunning and for our listeners you can see Guillaume's work on his website at guillaumebon.tumblr.com that's g-u-i-l-l-a-u-m-e-b-o-n-n dot t-u-m-b-l-r dot com and uh, take a look at his work because it is fabulous but um, what do you think about that? The, the objective, ob- you were just talking about this, the objective observer versus the emotive, evocative image, uh, and, and journalism. Uh, in, in being a journalist, you have to, as you just said, get that image out there. But, um, it, it seems to me more that you're not interested in photographing the dead bodies. You're photograph, you're more interested in photographing the the life, um, and I guess that will lead us into the project that you're working on. Um, so in 2011, to take this a little further, you were commissioned by Vanity Fair to be the photographer with uh, Alex Shumatov for the, a groundbreaking article, Agony and Ivory. Um, can you give us some insight as to how that article changed your life from being simply an observer um, to of what was happening on your continent to taking a more active role in conservation or taking action, which I think leads to where is a, is kind of a natural lead to what you were just saying. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, being an observer, yes, I think I think you know every journalist or photojournalist or, or people who put themselves outside of their you know protected environment. Um, you, you definitely become an observer. But I, I think after a while, and, and I've been doing this for 20 years now, after a while you cannot just be there and and just observe. I mean, I think you have to take a side um, because because if you're not taking a side, then, then I guess it makes you, it makes you feel, you know, that you're not um, contributing somehow. Um, so, you know, I've I've been covering a lot of a lot of you know the the problems that Africa um, um, you know has been has been faced with you know for for many many years, which are you know directly related to to the you know the the sort of scramble for resources that 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 Africa you know has amazing uh, resources all over the place, and and you know a lot of a lot of countries, a lot of private companies are are, are moving in or have moved in, and so. When, when Vanity Fair called and said, you know, um, how about getting involved into a poaching, you know, poaching and, uh, ivory trade story, um, you know, related to the elephants, I, I, I thought, well, um, that's going to be fascinating and interesting. So, so we got in, but, but, and, and what I realized while we were traveling and we traveled for, you know, for about five weeks in, in six countries in Africa, I realized that everything I'd, I'd been covering before, which was human led related, um, what was, and, and, and all the stuff that I was covering was, you know, kind of, you know, the direct result of the mayhem that, that, you know, politicians and ego and, and human beings are creating on the government. I mean, on, on the continent are also, you know, affecting, affecting the wildlife in, in a, in a tremendous way. And, and so I, I knew that, the environment in Africa was under a lot of pressure and it was in the back of my mind somewhere, but it was not on my radars. And, and, and that, that story basically sort of opened up, um, you know, my eyes to this particular um, issue. And, and I realized that, you know, the elephants don't have a voice. Um, 
And when I'm saying the elephants, I'm talking about wildlife in general. And I think the elephants are a metaphor for, for, for the rest of the wildlife that's also under a lot of pressure in Africa. And I realized, well, this is a very, very important, you know, thing to talk about. And, and, you know, one needs to really, um, you know, uh, put himself and, and dig more information and go more into depth and, and bring back that story to, to, you know, to tell, to tell firsthand what's going on in Africa. This seems to be a lot of what is happening today. I had a guest before, Julian Rademeyer, who is a crime investigator in South Africa, who followed a story to, um, of, of following a gun that was used in a poaching incident to kill a rhino. So, and he ended up leaving his job for two years to write the book Killing for Profit. So it sort of sounds like you've undergone this, a similar transformation along with a lot of photojournalists, National Geographic uh, photographers, and other storytellers through the, the visual language to taking a more active role. Um, do you think, which is my role, I've been involved in conservation for 30 years. Um, I write and I, I take photographs, but my, my underlying point was always conservation and bringing awareness to the plight of wildlife. So when you say the elephants are a metaphor for everything else that happens, that's, that's such a beautiful way to put it because they are. And, um, it's fascinating to hear that it's a metaphor for you that got you involved in the conservation side of things. And it's a metaphor for me that they are the ecosystem architects. So how are we journalists, photo- photographers, journalists, and conservationists going to work together on, and this is going to lead into your, your project, which is very exciting. How do you see we're going to work together or do you think we need to work together to um, create a new model of what photojournalism and wild, uh, covering wildlife issues and conservation can work together? Well, I, I think all, all, all those crises and, and including the wildlife crisis that's happening now are, are issues that are, that are too often um, overlooked by, by the media and, and, and the media, you know, has its limitation as well. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I, I think I realized that more, more with Agony and Ivory, the elephant uh, story for Vanity Fair than, than any other stories I've done before. Um, basically, you, you know, you, you go out there, you put yourself sometimes in, you know, really dangerous situations to, to bring back those stories and it gets published. And, and you kind of think in a naive way that somebody will pick up the pieces and, and nobody does really. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure why, but, but, you know, what, what Vanity Fair created with the article on, on, on the elephant is, is they, they basically launched a sort of, uh, worldwide, um, media campaign on, on that issue. Um, and I think, I think it did that and achieved that because nobody really expects, you know, a magazine like Vanity Fair to, to actually carry a story on elephants. And, and so, so here we are now two years after the, the article came out and, um, um, you know, the situation, the situation is not getting better. I mean, it's, it's actually getting worse. So, so, um, th- this is what's pushing me into, into trying something else. Um, and, 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 and trying to communicate this to, to, to an audience that not, ne- that is not necessarily related to, to a media outlet. Um, because the media in itself is, you know, facing a crisis. And, and, and I think we, we, we cannot only count on the media um, to, to, you know, to be able to create a change. So you're sitting on a crossroads. You're sitting on a, a, a very fascinating fence or boundary um, or bridge. I'd, I'd prefer to call it a bridge between um, what you've covered in your entire life and seeing the changes on the entire continent of Africa through the scope of your work and the images you've created to um, an active role uh, with Agony and Ivory to the project that you're working on now. So tell us a little bit about this project. Well, b- basically what I'm trying to do is I think I'm, I'm – I'm trying to bring knowledge and, and information. What I've realized is I've, I've done a bunch of presentations and, and I realized that the people who come and see my presentations, obviously I've, I've heard about the ivory war that's going on right now because, because there's a huge crisis with ivory, but they don't have all the components or, or the knowledge 
that that they really should have in order to you know in order for themselves to make a difference uh, also and and what i what i what i mean by making a difference is is knowledge is power i mean it sounds cliche but it really is true and and the difference starts in your own home you know um and in your own community in your own family you know your uncles your grandparents you know whoever um hears the stories you have to share with them should know exactly what it is to to actually be able to debate this and and possibly you know at a very small level you know send a letter to your you know to your mayor or to your governor and say you know I'm really concerned by this and and if everybody was doing that I think maybe we would stand a chance to to create a force and join hands in in order to be to be locked in rather than locked out um in in leaving the decisions um uh, that are being taken right now um as far as um our planet is concerned so what you brought up an interesting point um that uh connection the gaps between what media is telling us versus what the photographer or the photojournalist is actually experiencing on the ground in making the story that ends up being edited and you get the the final article there's a whole lot that you experienced that is left out. So what is some of that information? What are some of those gaps that you're trying to fill with this project? Well, I, I think even the most, you know, basically the most inquiring um, audiences, you know, the most inquiring people would, you know, would pick up the sort of usual newspapers. Well, the one that have survived this crisis, i.e. The, the New York Times, um, you know, don't, don't, you know, even that doesn't give them, you know, the, the, the full knowledge and bigger picture of, of what's going on. And, and, and I think there's millions and millions of people who have no idea what's going on. And, and I'm not entirely sure why, uh, in fact, well, you know, I mean, in the world that we're in where, where communication is, you know, an immediate, you know, second thing. I mean, you can communicate with somebody in Japan if you're in America in a, in a, in a split second. Why is that information not being shared with a with a bigger audience? I, I am not entirely sure why, and and that's why I'm starting this project. Is I want to bring firsthand, you know, that information face to face with people. And you're in an, a unique position to do so. Um, so you bring up an imp- interesting point. Our technology has made communication instantaneous, and yet the communication is seems to be becoming more trivial. Um, we're more connected to the next big thing, the next big gadget, uh, action, 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 always have to be moving rather than taking that time, which you as a photojournalist and, uh, and me as a conservationist or anyone who even a writer has to take that time to slow down and, um, organize thoughts and be, uh, an observer, and if you had said it before that uh, your your photography is a language, so through your project, um, let's instead of referring it to as the project, let's just say a little bit more. Um, the working title is called Game Over, and um, we're not sure that that's the final title. Wild Eyes is certainly interested in supporting this project because it is unique, and it pulls together everything Guillaume has just been talking about, filling the gap. Um, in today, by using today's media and, uh, books and photography and writing to bring attention to what should be headline news, the, the loss and destruction and the bad news of what's been happening over the past 50 years. So tell us a little more specifically about what game over is right after the break. And we'd love to have our listeners call in to one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight or send us an email at wildize at wildeyes.org and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. 
Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back to Our Wild World. We're with Guillaume Bon, a fascinating uh, photojournalist and uh, who is moving into a new project. Uh, Guillaume, this is a very new undertaking for you. Typically, you are um, commissioned to do a, a, a piece or an article or uh, a gather a series of photographs to fit to someone else's writing. But this project, Game Over, is... Uh, being conceived by you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the project is and why you feel it's so important? So, so um, just to recap, um, you know, I was involved in this article um, that Vanity Fair did, you know, two years ago. And I, you know, I realized that um, many of the poverty led stories I did on, on the, on the continent of, you know, on the African continent, I realized that, you know, a lot of the people that I were photographing and I was also talking to and spending time with, you know, always wonder why somebody like me spent so much time with them. And, 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 you know, what comes out of that is they always say why, you know, I mean, if there were more people, you know, from our government, you know, taking care of us and, and listening to us and listening to our troubles, you know, you know, maybe they wouldn't understand what, what we, you know, facing and what we up against. Um, so, I, I think, in essence, that's what I realize is that having a story published in an article is is a good thing because it creates awareness. But but it's not it's not where it should end. Um, I think time needs to be created in terms of um, you know going to communities, you know, um, talking to people, and and letting them know what is really happening in in a sort of human human way, which is face to face conversation. You know, um, and, and tell them the intricate layers of, of what's happening related to human wildlife conflict. Because, because today we can't talk about wildlife without talking about, you know, human beings. It's, it's, it's totally intricated. It's, it's part of the same picture and it's part of the same problem. Um, so in essence, what I'm trying to do is, is create a bunch of events, you know, all over America. Um, using um, a, a creativity um, um, visual, you know, a creativity visual message through pictures and through exhibitions um, to create events and, and the time and the space and the same roof where you can bring people basically under the same, you know, under the same timing and, and spend time with them and, and tell them that story. So this is fascinating. So it brought up a, an immediate question to me. Um, who is your audience for this book in the, ex in the exhibit? Is it the Western um, European audience or is it because uh, you're talking about spending time with communities and, and having covered so much of Africa? Who, who, who needs this message? Do you think it's both the communities and the Western world or what will be, without sounding um, negative here, what's the point? 
Well, I mean, basically what, I, what I've been doing for, for nearly, nearly two decades now is, is you know, uh, through my pictures, I've been conveying important messages um, to res- responsible thinkers and dec- decision makers who were picking up, you know, the New York Times when I was working for the New York Times or Vanity Fair, if I'm working for Vanity Fair, and other, you know, important media outlet like this. And, and, and this has been going for 20 years. So this is my lifetime I'm talking about. But, but, you know, this has been going on for more than that. And it seems to me that things are not changing for the better as far as our planet is concerned. So, so, you know, I can't carry on, you know, you know, trying to send messages to thinkers and decision makers and nothing seems to be changing. Um, and I'm not the only one who's doing this. You know, there's many of us who are doing that. Um, so I think, I think the time is, the time is to reflect and, and think, okay, w- what is it that I could actually bring to the table now? Um, and, and, and the only thing that I can think of is actually, uh, let's forget the, the decision makers. Let's go and talk to, you know, uh, the, the people, the real people like you and I, um, the people who don't necessarily have, um, that decision making or that, that, um, uh, power. Uh, to make a to make a change, and 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 I think that's where you can create power in a different way. Absolutely. So um, empowerment is a it's, it's a word that's bandied about a lot. I've always felt that you cannot empower someone; someone has to empower themselves. So what your work and what you've been talking about in is giving people the power to make choices by giving them the the truth. Uh, we've talked. At length, you and I, about the truth and um, what is going on in Africa. And it's not pretty. Uh, You've said several times that it's not getting better. Uh, Coming from my perspective in conservation and uh, 20 and 30 years in, in doing wildlife conservation, I see that it's not getting better. So working with someone like you who has such a humongous scope and vision I think will be the model of turning things around between conservation and bridging with journalism. So um, from what I understand and what we've talked about, your project is a systematic visual history of the last 50 years of Africa and what's happened. And as we've been saying, it's kind of a gloomy picture. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about the history that you'll be covering and, and where the point that you're trying to get to in today, which is the title of our show is A Fresh Look on Modern Africa. But in order to understand modern Africa, we have to understand the past. Can you tell us a little bit about where this is coming from and where it will go? Well, I, you know, I, I think the, the main thing that people, you know, do not necessarily understand related to what's going on in Africa is, you know, everything that's going in Africa is, is and, and you know, you know in, a, in a sort of destructive way is related to poverty. Um, you know, um, we, we are, you know, um, calling poachers, you know, the bad guys. And, and, you know, really at the end of the day, poachers are trying to survive. They're trying to feed their families and they're trying to make a buck like all of us, you know, on this planet. So, um, and they're doing that because they have no other things to actually do. Um, and it's a day to day survival thing. And, and so, so the guy who goes and kills the elephant, you know, you know, he does that because he knows he's going to make a little bit of money from the ivory and he's not making that huge amount of money. You know, I've, 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 I've been around when, when poachers have been arrested. I've photographed them and I felt bad for those poor buggers because, 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 you know, they barely have a, 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 a piece of cloth, you know, covering them. You know, it's full of holes and, and they really are stricken poverty people. Um, and, and that goes the same way for, you know, um, for a giraffe or, or an impala or, or anything that has four legs that actually can feed a family. And, and I don't think people realize that. So I think it's very easy to, to talk about the bad Chinese, you know, which, which, you know, where, where the, the demand is coming, you know, related to the ivory war, um, that's going on at the moment. But, but, um, we are not, um, um, we're not going to stop what's going on in Africa if we don't tackle, um, you know, the, the, the poverty that's going on there. So, so that brings a lot of, a lot more questions into how do we do this? And, and I think what, you know, one way to, to look at it is, you know, to be responsible about the money that's being given to Africa. And, 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 you know, we all saying, oh, you know, um, the Chinese are going into the African government and they don't ask questions. But I, I don't think, you know, realistically that the West has been asking many questions as well in the last 40 years. 
and and you know Africa is in a you know really tricky situation right now as far as their population which is growing you know very very fast and and you know no jobs are being created and and no hopes is being created by by you know African governments for their own people so poverty is really the essence of the problem here you you just brought up so many um important issues that questions are popping off like light bulbs in my head so we're looking at a Western model of progress equals possession and power that is moving into let's what used to be called the undeveloped or emerging worlds. But Africa as a continent and as governments and um, in terms of resources has emerged. It's more industrialized. You and I talked about that previously. So there's something that's not working about the model of what we're passing on. We're, we're passing on what works, but not necessarily, as, as you had said before, the information of how that works and what this model is doing to Africa. So, um, it, it, I mean, we're ending up paving over the natural world, which is in the beginning the very world that made us human. So your project, Game Over, is going to create a bridge between what is happening, what has happened, and where we are now. And um, it, it's not just a, a, a gloomy picture. There is hope. So where is the, the part of your project that is um, that will help, I'd, I'd say, the, the local Africans, the people on the ground who are disconnected and disassociated and unrepresented and probably the least used resource that Africa has? How will Game Over affect that? Well, I mean... You know, basically what, what, what I'm trying to do here is, is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go back to, you know, 10 to 12 more countries in Africa, um, because, you know, each, each, you know, country has a different sets of problems, obviously. Um, Africa is, you know, is a huge continent. It's not one country and, and every, you know, um, um, policies in, in one country or the other is, is slightly different from, you know, from the neighboring country. So, so what I'm trying to do is, yeah, as you as you mentioned earlier, do a systematic documentation of what's going on. I'll give you an example. In Chad, um, you know, there's about 1,500 elephants left, and and you know, you have no ears and and eyes, you know, in in that part of Africa, for various reasons. So, you know, in essence, in essence, what what I'm trying to do here is, you know. Um, one, not, you know, not to, you know, make sure that we're not going to forget what we have done, you know, 10 years, 10 years from now. Um, and that makes me reflect on, you know, the powerful pictures of, of, of what happened in 1945 when we discovered, you know, uh, the camps in Germany is like, if those pictures were not around, well, we, we wouldn't have, you know, much to back up on, on, you know, trying to prove to the people who are still thinking that it didn't happen, that it actually happened. So that's the first thing. There's a very strong is- historical documentation that needs to be done as far as the environment is concerned in Africa. And then the second thing is, as you, as you mentioned also earlier, is, you know, um, to empower a broad, wide base of people who we have, you know, locked out of that information and, and, and despite, you know, um, the internet, uh, um, communication that we have today, you know, people who, who have no access to that. We need to re-engage those people and not forget them and, and create that time for them to know that, you know, one day maybe there won't be a tree left. And if there is not a tree left, well, what, what is it that we're going to be able to breathe, you know? Um, and, and I think people have their own sets of problems on a day-to-day basis, and, and that's fair. And, and, you know, people are also, you know, in this part of the world, America or, or, or Europe, struggling, you know, to make hands meet. But we need to re-engage people in a way that um, also makes them responsible because they have to realize that they are responsible through the taxpayer money that they are given that they are giving every year to the government who was, you know, who are just splashing billions and billions of dollars to Africa. And they have done, that have been doing that for 50 years. And, and the, you know, the, 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 the end result is that, you know, Africa is in a worse shape today as far as, you know, um, the population is concerned than it was 50 years ago. Um, and I don't want to go into politics, but that's the reality. There are more people uh, that are poor and not eating every day today than there was 50 years ago. 
it just makes you wonder how this can be possible um, with the billions of dollars of foreign aid that goes into Africa. And you brought up an interesting point. China um, is not giving aid. They are providing infrastructure and they're doing it all over the world. And I think my own personal opinion, and I don't want to sound um, um, arrogant here, but in, in Africa, the, the continent, uh, we all talk about Africa like it's a single place, and as you said, it's not. But I think what's happening in the quest to climb the economic ladder, which is happening, um, Africa is is engaging in uh, connecting to the modern world, getting progress, getting uh, what they need to survive and move forward in the world, but what they're risking is huge. What's at stake is huge. And we've already lost this in many of the Western uh, parts of the world and Europe, um, as opposed to those pristine uh, wilderness areas that we see on documentaries. We're talking about the places where people and wildlife and environment are all living together. Um, I, I kind of lost my point here, but um, as, as you go about this project and turn from journalism into activism, what are some of the roadblocks you're encountering between getting these two models of progress and the artifact that we think of as Africa together? Well, but bottom line is, you know, when, when I have, you know, discussions like this with, with people who um, have means and, and wealth, you know, to either help my project or, or, or help other projects, you know, they, 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 they feel that, you know, it's kind of doom and gloom and nothing, you know, needs to, you know, should be done or, or can be done. And, and that's not true. I mean, the world is still a beautiful place. Um, you know, there are still amazing forests to, you know, to discover. There are still amazing wildlife to see. There are still amazing experiences, you know, to, you know, out there, um, for us to touch, but, but we, we, we need to think about the system that we have created for ourselves, um, in, in, you know, in a much more deeper way. And, and it's not impossible. I mean, we, we are, you know, we are very intelligent cre creatures and, and we have invented all those, you know, incredible things, you know, from the plane to the car. But so, you know, why is it not possible to change, you know, a system that clearly doesn't work? Um, I'll, you know, I, I, I don't know. Why is it so easy to raise the debt of Africa and, and, and immediately after give them billions again? I, you know, we've done that for 50 years. Why do we carry on doing this? It just doesn't work. You know, that, that money ultimately that's given to poor people in Africa via, you know, via, um, I hate to say it, but, but, you know, via governments is not, you know, reaching, reaching the people. So, so if we really want to help, we have to think on, on, on how to help in a different way. It's not a question of not helping. It's a question of how can we help better? Absolutely. Um, this, we, we missed a break here. So I think we're just going to continue talking uh, through to the end of the show because it's, it, it, it's, I don't want to break this up at the moment. So you said before that conservation and media has um, are conversing are so busy trying to survive for the day, um, and that's sort of happening here in the West. We're we have everything we need, but we're still just scrambling like hamsters on the wheel to survive to, for today. So your project Game Over is trying to show um, that survival for the day is not getting us anywhere, that we've been doing this for 50 years and we need to address this a bit more systematically. So through a visual history of what's happened in Africa to show where we haven't gotten, I think what your project will do is uh, energize and galvanize people to look at this issue from a different perspective. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are calling them, you know, calling themselves experts of Africa and they've spent very, you know, very little time in Africa. And, and that's part of the problem as well. And I, I also understand that, you know, the, you know, the responsibility that, you know, President Obama or, 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 or the focus that President Obama, you know, needs to address are not necessarily, um, you know, uh, about Africa and what's going on in Africa. He's got his own problems, you know, to, to deal with in America. But, at the end of the day, 
the trees that you are cutting down on the Amazon or, or uh, in Central African Republic or Congo are going to affect you even also if you are sitting in the White House. Um, you know, it's not about making more money. Um, and as you said earlier, Africa and, you know, Africa is getting into the industrialization. So, so, you know, everybody wants free phones, five cars, you know, two huge houses. And, and there's a shift that's happening in the West, um, where, where we're trying to preserve what, you know, what we can preserve and what we haven't destroyed yet. So, so it's very difficult to explain, you know, to, to, to Africa, um, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, because who are we, you know, at the end of the day, um, um, the West, and, and I'm not including myself in the West, but who are we to, to tell them, you know, how to do, you know, things in a better way when, when we have clearly not shown, you know, the, the, the good example. Bottom line is, you're going to make a lot of money with this industrialization. You're going to, you know, you're going to suck the juices of the earth, you know, more and more. There's going to be less and less resources. And I'm thinking of water here. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, what are we going to be able to breathe? I mean, your money will be worth nothing when there's nothing to breathe anymore. I mean, you know, this sounds cliche, but it's really the truth. Um, so what this project is basically trying to do is, is have people reconnect through um, the pictures that I will bring, you know, um, um, to them and, and, and my experience and bringing other people, you know, um, um, you know, in terms of, uh, people who've spent a lot of time on the ground, scientists, you know, wardens, you know, um, people who have actually made a difference, but don't necessarily have the time to engage and, and, and come and share that with communities, you know, in the middle of America or in the middle of Europe and tell them, look, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Look at those pictures. You know, that, that sort of conveys you, you know, something, something more rea real than just, than just, you know, reading a newspaper or magazine because, because we are coming to tell you that story face to face. Um, and I think that, you know, people will react to the fact that we are creating that time for them to, to learn and listen from, from the people who have experienced that. This is a huge project. This is a huge task, Guillaume. Um, and I, I faced, I, I, <laughs> I faced this for 20 years in doing conservation. So on, on the one hand, it's thrilling that we're working together from two different perspectives. Um, my Western perspective in looking at what we've lost and what Africa has that can yet be saved or protected and your background of living through a living history of what and seeing what has been lost in Africa. So how are you going to do this? I mean, physically, administratively, how is this, how are you going to pull this together? Who is going to be working with you to, because you can't do this by yourself. Um, I can't do it by myself. So what, that's one reason why we're joining forces, but how do we do this? How do, uh, who is it we have to engage to reach the people um, both Western and local African to make this happen? Well, I, you know, I think if, I mean, the only way to, to do this is just to do it. I mean, um, and, 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 you know, not, not, I mean, there's so many questions without answers. I mean, if, if you keep looking for the answers, you'd never start anything. So I, I, I basically, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do what I've, well, you know, what I've just said, which is, you know, I'm, I'm making presentations, I'm making friends, I'm making partnerships, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm joining ends and I'm trying to, for people to understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's us, the little people who can make a difference. But, but if we, if we join ends and, and if we, if we make our voice heard now in order for that voice to be heard, you know, people need to know what they're talking about. So in essence, that's what the project is about. So I'm trying to, you know, raise money to be able to go and do that documentation in Africa, uh, raise money to be able to create all those events and, and traveling exhibitions that I'm trying to do. And, and I'm talking to, you know, people like you who've been, you know, involved in, in, in that sort of work for a long time, you know, to, to, to be able to join as well, which, which, you know, you, you, you know, in a sense you, you have because we are talking here today. Um, so I, I think it's the time is for action. So, you know, lots of questions again, you know, um, which are unanswered. And, and I think the time is for action and, and see where that leads us. But we've, you know, um, um, specifically reflecting on what exactly we have achieved in the last 50 years. Um, 
and and what is it that we can do in the next 50 years um, related to related to what we have in front of us today? So we have a, a, about five, not not quite ten minutes left. So, um, are you having success? Um, you came to the states. Uh, you're living in Paris. You came to the states. Uh, you're not living in Kenya right now, and you've come to the U.S. to present this project to a variety of let's call them backers from conservationists to media outlets to let's call them uh venture capitalists and investors are are you having success with that i know you're going to have success with the conservationists because this is our goal are you having a success with engaging um the venture capitalists the people who have the big money that could make could make a difference well, I, you know, I, I, I think the, the successes that, that, that I'm having are, are, you know, in, in seeing the, the, you know, how people are reacting to what I'm saying to them. And, 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 and funnily enough, you know, I was talking about the poor people that I've been interacting with, you know, in, in Africa, you know, um, um, doing stories on poverty for a long time. And, and suddenly, you know, their eyes open up and say, Oh my God, you're spending a lot of time with us. You know, our own governments are not even doing that. And in many ways, that's what I'm getting here as well. You know, in, in, in America, it's like, you know, people cannot believe, um, in, in many ways, um, um, you know, what, what I'm saying because, because nobody is, nobody has done that before. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm putting myself on, you know, on a pedestal here, but, but nobody is really investing the time to go and talk the talk. Um, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot about, you know, trying to create a, a feel-good scenario, you know, for people to write a check and that's it. No, that's not it. Um, so I am having a lot of successes because I'm getting a lot of response and and, and people are really, you know, op- opening up to, to what I'm saying and, and kind of shocked by what I'm saying. But at the same time, they understand why and where I'm coming from. And yes, I'm, I'm getting a lot of people who want to help. Absolutely. This is excellent because it... I wouldn't say you're putting yourself on a pedestal at all. Um, I think your perspective is critical at this time in our human history, our global history, our world history, because we're facing unprecedented challenges right now, tipping points all over the place. But as I've said often, um, that offers unprecedented opportunities to make a difference and to turn things around. And I think your project game over. Um, and I think we should just say a little tiny bit in the time we have left why it's called game over. It's actually on the back of a project that was done 45 years ago. Can you just give us a little bit of background of why it's called Game Over? Well, I, I realized that the, at the end of, of the article we did, um, you know, Agony and Avery, um, that, that you, know, you know, most, most books, um, you know, related to human wildlife conflict, uh, actually there's, there's not such a thing as, you know, um, 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 uh, books that are actually addressing it uh, in a way that's, too, that's not too romanticized. And, and most, you know, wildlife book you, you get are, are just showing you a pretty pictures of, of, you know, of a lion, you know, chasing an impala. But they never tell you that, you know, five minutes to 10 minutes, you know, from that very spot, you know, there's a crisis. So, so there's a lot of reports that are being, you know, that are being, um, you know, written about human wildlife conflict as well in a sort of language that nobody understands. You know, it's very important that those reports exist because, because we have hard facts, but, but nobody reads those reports because they're not being put out there. Um, so what I'm trying to do with this book. And so I realized that the last book that was, you know, addressing those issues was done in 1965. And, um, it's a book called the end of the game. Um, um, that, that, uh, somebody I spent actually quite a bit of time with, um, um, did, um, his name is Peter Beard. And, and I, I see, I see the book that I'm trying to do as, as a sequel of that book. But, but, you know, obviously I realize also that in 2013, you can't just do a book like you did in 1965. You have to not only do a book, but you have to, you know, put yourself out there, you know, bring the stories, create events, you know, uh, traveling exhibitions, bring people to the table, engage with, you know, as many people as you can, important, not important, uh, and important and not important, I mean, the people who can 
actually take a decision and the people who feel that they can't make a difference because they don't have the, the power of a decision. And I think that is wrong. Even in your own house, you can make a difference. It's just a matter of, you know, of wanting it and knowing why you want to make a difference. And, and that's where the problem comes is if people don't know why they need to make a difference, it's because they don't have the knowledge. And that's what this project is about is bring the knowledge to the people and, and for the people to realize that they can do something about this. I think it's a fabulous project. And Guillaume, I can't, I can't thank you enough for spending time talking with me today. And I would love to have you back on the show as this project moves along. And I'd like our listeners to know that if you'd like to participate or learn more or help fund this project, you can certainly contact Wild Eyes at uh, w, uh, excuse me, wildeyes.org. Or you can get in touch with Guillaume. He's on uh, Twitter or through his uh, webpage at guillaumebon at tumblr.com um, and continue this conversation. As we've just been saying, in order to make a difference and in order to affect change, we need the knowledge. And Guillaume has an incredible history and scope of knowledge that he is more than willing and is putting everything on the line to transfer to those who want the knowledge and to make a difference. So it is there, people. Um, the knowledge is there. The acti- activity and actions, actionable items are there. So, um, Guillaume, I wish you the very best with this project. And uh, it's Thank been a you. pleasure having you here. And do you have any uh, last comment that you would like people to take away? We have maybe a, a couple minutes left. Well, I mean, I'm 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 very grateful to have been on this show, and 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 I'm very grateful I've I've met you, Ellie. I think your your work is important, and Thank you, know, you. And 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 you you and and I think you know you know through an organization like like yours, you know, you are kind of you know the sort of the 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 point of 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 gathering for for a lot of us in 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 Africa to to be able to get the message across um, with with your help and. And so I think it's important to to develop that and 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 reach out more people and 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 for people to realize that you know it's not because we are normal people in you know we are all normal people but people who don't necessarily have the means um to make a difference because we might not be a politician or we might not be a billionaire uh that we cannot we actually can we have a voice that's why we vote that's why we pay you know tax money and and we just need to you know we just need to think about that a little bit more i think you're absolutely right and thank you for the, the wonderful compliment that's what wild eyes's goal is is to be a hub for people to get involved to find out what's going on and find out what they can do and we all can do something so once again um i thank you for being on the show today my you pleasure. can uh, check out more at Guillaume's website at guillaumebon.tumblr.com or learn more about what we're talking about at wildeyes.org and participate. We've given you a lot of opportunities today to think about and um, get involved. So all it takes is that one little step and reach out uh, and, 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 and talk and connect. So until next week, uh, I would like to say thank you, Guillaume. And welcome to our wild world and get out there and see what it is that we're talking about that needs our help, that uh, we need to engage in. So until next week, have a great day and step out to your wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow, our communities go hungry, our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. 
She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.